Romans chapter 8, starting from verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, Abba, Father, we we thank you so much that you are our Father as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you speak to us and that through your word you have revealed your wonderful gospel, the gospel that saves us, that wipes our slate clean, that forgives us, and that brings us into your family as your children. Father, we thank you for your spirit that you give to our hearts to help us to hear your word, to remember it, and we thank you that your spirit then takes that word and brings it to life in our lives. And so we ask for that this morning. We ask that as we look at this wonderful and this beautiful passage from your word, that you would bring life to us through it. As we trust your son, as we keep persevering in trusting him, we pray that you'll bless us today for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Guy Goma. He looks like a pretty nice guy. And from what I can gather online, he is a nice guy. Nice Guy Goma. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Guy. Guy was born in 1969 in the Republic of Congo. He graduated from business studies uh, from the city of Brazzaville in the Congo. And in the early 2000s, he immigrated to the UK. Now, in May of 2006, he applied for an IT job at the BBC television network. Now, the BBC looked at his application. They thought he had the right qualifications. And so they asked him in for an interview. Good for him. Now here is where the story gets a turn for the incredible. Guy was sitting in the main reception area, waiting to be called in for his interview. But through a series of blunders, the BBC mistook Guy Goma for Guy Cuny, a British internet expert. Guy Goma was there for an IT job, an an IT interview. Guy Cuny was going to be interviewed on live TV about internet copyright. And so there is Guy Goma on live TV thinking it was a job interview. (laughs) Then when he got introduced as Guy Cuny, it suddenly dawned on him (laughs) 
that he was the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. But Guy is brilliant. He just gave it a shot. It went for 90, the interview went for 90 seconds and it made him an internet hero. Now, getting someone's identity right is so crucial, isn't it? See, if we don't get someone's identity right, then all sorts of trouble can be had. And the one thing about, the guy, about Guy Gomer's story is really clear. Your identity cannot just be wrapped up in your first name alone. Other things about who you are are crucial in identifying your place in this world. Now, on Friday, we began to unpack one of the key distinctive identity markers for Christians. Christians, as we heard on Friday, are God's adopted children. Today, we're going to see a little bit more about what God's adopted children look like, what marks their identity. Before we do that, let's quickly, quickly recap where we went on Friday. Good Friday is the day that Christians celebrate each year, remembering the death of Jesus on the cross, his death for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, last Friday, we looked at how trusting Jesus means that we are fully adopted sons and daughters of God. A full legal adoption has occurred. We are presently his children. Remember, we are not aiming to be children. We are his children. Those who trust Jesus can know this as a fact. And we can know this intimately and personally in our hearts. God has sent his son to die for us. The good news of Good Friday. And if we trust Jesus, we can have the secure, objective reality of being his sons and daughters. God has sent his son so that we can have that secure, objective reality. Now, God has also sent his spirit into our hearts so that we can have a radical, subjective experience of that objective reality. We can cry out to God as our heavenly, personal father, Abba, father. As God's true children, we have a special privileged access to God. As we saw, this is wonderful news. As J.I. Packer puts it, it is the highest, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than justification. Now on Friday, we left off Galatians 4 with two main applications. The first, to remember our status. Remember that in the gospel, we are God's children by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And this wonderful objective truth is something that we can rejoice The Spirit has been given to all of God's children so that we might know and experience the love and the delight that our Father in Heaven has for His children. Today, we're going to expand a little bit more about on the wonder of adoption. And in particular, we're going to see how the resurrection of Jesus, the event we celebrate this day, the event we celebrate every Sunday that we gather, how the resurrection of Jesus teaches God's children how they are to live. So we start in our passage with our passage in verse 12. You notice verse 12 begins with the words, so then. Right? Paul has just made an, the argument in verse 11, uh, verses 9 to 11, that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. That Spirit now dwells inside of you. And that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your bodies. The Spirit has, that resurrected Jesus is the same Spirit that gives us new life. And so if the resurrection of Jesus gives you new life, 
then it will also lead you into a new way of living. Now, in our passage, the first new way of living is to realize that you are not a debtor to your flesh. There is no obligation on you to follow your sinful desires. Now, Paul is sort of picturing the sinful nature as a big bully, right? sometimes luring you, sometimes threatening you, but everything it does is so that you will listen to it and follow it. Now, there's a, there can be a sense in our lives that we are, we are obli- obliged to follow. There's a duty to follow. But Paul is saying that if you have put your faith in Jesus and if he is raised to life, then you are no longer bound to your flesh. Paul says in verse 12 that we are not debtors to the flesh. We have no obligation to please our sinful desires. There is no duty upon Christians to live according to the flesh, to do what their sinful hearts desire. In verse 13, he gives the clear point. To live according to the flesh is to die. There is no benefit to living, following your sinful nature. There's nothing to be thankful for. To follow your sinful desires is to forsake God, to turn your back on His goodness and His kindness. Our sinful nature holds out the promise of delight, joy, or pleasure, but it can never give a full return on investment. The delight is temporary. The joy is fleeting. The pleasure is gone too soon. And the only way to experience it again is to keep following your sin's desires. And it is ultimately a path that leads to death. Sin promises so much, but only delivers death. If you didn't know already... Australia is now in election season. Yay! On May 18th, Australian citizens will head to the polls to vote for our federal parliamentary members. And as with every election season, they are going to make heaps of promises for you to win your vote. Now, if sin were a politician, it would promise you the world. But it would only empty your bank account and would starve you to death. All the while, promising more and more if you would just keep voting for it. Now, if you're an adopted child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrection teaches us that we are not obligated to our sin. Instead, in the middle of verse 13, we are to put to death this body of sin by the power of the Spirit. Now, this image of putting to death. There's a, there's a real sense of battle behind it. Fighting, waging war. This, this is hard work. We, we don't just let go and let God, whatever that cliche means. We battle hard against our sinful desires. We say no to temptation. We flee from lust. We counter the lies and temptation with the truths of the gospel. We fight false pleasure with the real joy of knowing and being known by our Heavenly Father. Putting to death the deeds of the body is an ongoing fight. It's not a once-off battle, but a constant battle, a constant series of small and big fights. And we're not fighting alone. Again, in verse 13, we put to death the body, we put to death the body by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us empowers us in our fight. 
Now, one of my good friends really struggles with temptation and lust. Uh, we talk about it often, and he often sighs and wishes that Jesus would just return now so that he could finish with the battle. And I keep encouraging him to battle on. And I've come to realize that this fight against sin will last a lifetime. Right? Sometimes we will overcome some sins, but others we will keep struggling and battling with with our whole lives. I've come to realize that I think God allows that to happen so that we will grow in dependence on him. Our tendency is, often, is always to trust ourselves, to rely on our own strength and our own power. And that in itself is a sinful desire. So whatever your sin is, brothers and sisters, fight hard against it. I know my list of sins is long and rather endless. My personal pride and my self-reliance, my tendency to wrongly lose it with the kids and yell at them, my fear of man, my desire to please people. There are so many battles on so many fronts. Keep fighting. Whatever your battles are, remember the following things. First, remember that Jesus has already won the war. You might lose some battles, but if you keep persevering, if you keep fighting and keep soldiering on, then you can know that victory is ahead. It is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection, which compels us to keep fighting. Second, remember that you're not fighting alone. Jesus promises to be with you always. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in you and empower you for the fight ahead. And three, remember who you are. Who are you? What is it that makes you, you? How, is it how you look? Is it your likes and your dislikes? who your parents are? What is it that makes you distinctly you? If you didn't know as well, I am a certified marriage celebrant. To become a marriage celebrant, I needed to attend a weekend training conference and then pass a whole bunch of assessment. They give you six months to do it. If you're really you know, keen, you could finish it in two weeks. I did it in 18 months. Now... Lots and lots of assessment, right? And it was testing whether or not I understood all the legal documents and identity requirements to marry a couple. See, the Australian government is really, really anal about the documents you need to show in order to prove your identity, right? Your birth certificate to confirm your real name and your birth date, right? Your passport to affirm your nationality, your, you know, your driver's license to prove your current address, even the details of the names of your parents, all of these are needed in order to prove your identity. All of these markers are there to prove your identity. Now, when you look at verses 14 to 17, Paul lists four markers about our new identity. We are sons of God, and there are four ways that we can tell. The first way is in verse 14. You can tell you are a child of God if you are led by the Spirit. So read with me verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
Now, being led here by the Spirit does not refer to being guided by God or seeking guidance from God. Being led by the Spirit isn't about God helping you to choose your career or work out who you should marry. Being led by the Spirit parallels and contrasts being led by the flesh. Remember, being led by the flesh means being obligated to our sin. Being led by the Spirit means we are living rightly. We are freed from our slavery to sin. Paul wrote to the Galatians to tell them that the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of sin, includes sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these on all sorts of levels. If we are following our sin, if we are being led by sin, if we are being led by our flesh, this is what it will look like. But the fruit of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a whole new way of life. So the first identity marker of an adopted child is that they are being led by the Spirit. They are living a new life. Number two Verse 15, you can tell you're a child of God if you do not live in fear. Have a look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've not received a spirit of slavery to to fall back into fear? We have not being given God's spirit to be slaves to sin, to fall back into fearing God's judgment on us? For God's children, there is no more judgment. There is no more condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 opens with these, marv- these glorious words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not fear God's judgment. We might fear him as a child, respecting God for his power and his might, in his awe and his majesty and his holiness, but we do not fear his wrath against our sin. Jesus has taken the wrath. He died on the cross, consuming God's wrath against our sins. God's children may face the loving discipline of their heavenly Father, but they will never need to fear his anger and condemnation for their sins. We have not received a spirit of slavery, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. As God's children, we can now cry out to Abba, God as Abba, Father. On Friday, uh, we had Ian and Payne, um, old friends from Esley Church from a number of years ago. Their little girl, Evie, was not having a good time over morning tea. And at one point, her daddy, Ian, was off chatting with someone else, And Evie was standing there, muffin in hand, bawling her eyes out. Daddy, daddy, where are daddy? Now me, being a daddy, I knelt down, fatherly instincts. I said, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And she began walking over me, her eyes closed, daddy, daddy. And then she opened her eyes and went, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) You're not my daddy, where's my daddy? Right? Children know who their father is. God's children know their heavenly father. 
and they have the privilege of being able to cry out to him. Third marker, verse 16, God's children know that they are God's children because they have God's spirit within them. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness is another way of saying that the Spirit makes us aware that we are God's children. If you turn to your Christian friend and you ask, how do you know that you are God's child? The answer is, because God is my Father, and I know this because I trust Jesus and His Spirit works in me to know in my head and to know in my heart that I belong to Him and that I am His beloved child. There is going to be a confidence there, an assurance, a certainty. Not because the Christian is good enough to be God's child, but because God's Spirit is graciously working in them to know with confidence that they are truly God's child. Fourth marker, verse 17, you can know you are a child of God if you are suffering well. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God's children will one day receive an inheritance. Now, back in chapter 4, verse 13 of Romans, that promised inheritance is nothing less than the world itself. We are heirs with God and co-heirs with Jesus. Everything that Jesus will one day inherit we get to inherit as well. And what will Jesus one day receive? Again, no less than everything in this universe. And that belongs to him. All that belongs to him will one day belong to us as well. But the path to that glorious end is not going to be easy. Notice in verse 17... That if we are co-heirs with Jesus, then we must follow in his footsteps. We must suffer with him. This is not an if. He's not saying if you suffer with him. No, he's not saying, you know, if it happens. He's saying suffering is not optional to the Christian life. It is a necessary part of our lives. We suffer because following Jesus is not easy. Some versions of Christianity teach that Christians live a blessed life, blessed lives of health, blessed bank accounts with plenty, blessed relationships that prosper. True faith and godliness there is measured by prosperity in life. This is a false gospel. If you want to know who preaches this gospel, I will name names to you, if you want. Right? Come and speak to me afterwards. Their books are filled with this false gospel. Their books are bestsellers on the, on the bestsellers list at Kurong. Their Facebook and their Instagram posts are liked by hundreds of thousands of people, but they are poison to the undiscerning. The true gospel lays before us a hard road, a road filled with suffering for Jesus' sake. Jesus' gospel, as we have been hearing in the gospel of Mark, requires repentance and faith, turning from our flesh and sinful desires and turning to follow Jesus. 
that news is not popular. And we are going to, suffering includes persecution for our faith as we keep proclaiming this to the world. Israel Falau, a Christian rugby league player, uh, rugby union player, sorry, got himself into some major hot water over an Instagram post calling on various kinds of sinners, including homosexuals, to repent of their sin. Now, whether or not you agree with the tone of his post, you have to agree that the response from our world was entirely predictable. And even if Falau had been more gracious and more winsome, do you honestly believe then that the, major, that the media would have not reacted negatively still? It's the gospel of Jesus that they hate. And they will inevitably hate Jesus' followers. Suffering will come if you are faithful to the gospel and if you are faithful in proclaiming the gospel to the world. Now, suffering also includes the general suffering of our sin-stained world. Now, we can see this a little more in the rest of Romans 8, how our world is shackled to sin, longing to be freed, and in the meantime, it groans with us in the brokenness of it all. We suffer the loss of loved ones to disease and death. And there has been much of that in our church already, and there will be much more of it in the future. We suffer the pain of tired and broken bodies as we slow down or even as our health takes a dive as we are stuck on the toilet at home, unable to make it to the 9 a.m. service. (laughs) Ben, that's for you. We'll suffer the pain of broken relationships, marriage breakdown, friendship breakdown, because our fears and our anxieties will lead us to hurt each other. We'll suffer these things because this present world is not our true home and destination. My little family, sitting up the back there, uh, we've gone on holidays a number of times, away from home, uh, Sydney, the Gold Coast, and other places, but the place that our kids love the most is home. Even after long days out, they love nothing more than to come back home and flop on the floor and make a big mess. There's nothing quite like home. The brokenness of this world reminds us that God's children are not home in this world. We've got a future home to look forward to. We suffer with Jesus now in order that we be glorified with him in the future. We persevere in the present as we look forward to the future. As we are, made, uh, we are made God's children by trusting the death of Jesus for us. Uh, the resurrection shows, of Jesus shows us our future resurrection, and that teaches us how we are to live in this world today in a different way to the rest of the world. Sons and daughters of God do not live to gratify their own flesh. They are not obligated to their sin. They live their lives in the Spirit, putting their sin to death. They live spirit-led lives without fear of God's wrath. The Spirit makes them aware of their adoption, points them ahead to their future glory, and helps them persevere through the suffering in the present. This is 
the wonderful news of our adoption as sons and daughters at Easter. Now, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure, and if you've heard all of that, again, I want to ask you, as I asked you on Friday, don't you want that? Don't you want to be known? Don't you want to know that you are known and loved and delighted in by a heavenly father? Aren't you tired of living for a master that wants nothing but your death? Will you turn to Jesus and trust him this Easter? And for the rest of us, for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, will you keep trusting him and persevering through the sufferings of this life, looking forward to that glory that is to come? In a moment, we're going to baptize six people who have declared with their lives that they have done just that. And if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure, have a talk to them about what they're going through. Have a talk to them about why they've made the decision to do that. For now, though, let me pray. Let me ask God to keep blessing us by trusting this good news. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you that you've given us this wonderful word of comfort, of reassurance, and that you've given us this word to know you better. Father, help us to do that. Help us to hear this word and to trust you. Thank you that you've sent Jesus. Thank you that he's died for our sin. So we pray that in trusting him, we will know that we are your children, and that we will know this in our heads and our hearts, and that we will live with all our might for you. We ask this for our joy and in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.